0: <laughs> um, thank you, I oh, can't remember your name, sorry about that, it's not a good way to start. <laughs> anyway, I'd like to thank Karina for her um, presentation, um, this is probably a bit of a, that was going to be a hard act to follow, it's a little, little bit depressing to be fair, <laughs> yeah. but uh, it looks like yeah, we've got a lot of challenges ahead of us, so um, hopefully uh, we're here to add a little bit of light entertainment for the night. Maybe. Um, Take your mind off that. So I'm going to do a magic trick. I'm going to make myself disappear and Pani's going to do all the talking. (laughs) If anyone can see up here right now, she's standing on my toe very, very hard. (laughs) Sorry, wife. Rightio, we'll crack into it. So, uh, my name's Eugene King, obviously, and this is my wife, Pania. We have four sons. Uh, Levi, who's 19, he's a shepherd in Shannon Station, up the Ouka Valley, in Wairu. Uh We have Haera, who's 16, he attends Lindisfarne College with his brother, Edereti, who's 15. And we have one boy, still at home, who's nine, and he attends Mortu School. So, I'll just give you a little bit of an overview of where, where we're from and then we'll, we'll crack into We're probably going to head in a few different directions here, but we're going to try and keep you sort of engaged. So, we farm um, Kitty Station, which is uh, a property situated in the Mortu Valley, 72 k's northwest of Gisborne. Um, we have 60 hectares of tractor country. Oh, sorry about that, no, Kariru is 483 hectares um, of land, um, 357 hectares effective, sorry I'm getting a little bit tongue-tied here, 60 hectares attract the country, 200 hectares of medium hill, and the remainder being been steep hill. Um, soils are pumice-based and on the river, river flats is sedimentary. Uh, we have an annual rainfall of about 2100 meters, uh, 22.1 20, meters of rainfall to 2.5 annually. It sort of varies a little bit, but we're in a fairly hot, high rainfall area. Um, we live in altitude, so we range from about 500 meters to about 750 around there. We sort of live our house is at 500 meters. Um, Mouton Valley, like I say, is regarded as summer safe country, but it is. Uh, we do have long cold winters and. Uh, so you've got the bonus of having the summer safe, but the winters are very extreme at times and snowfalls are not uncommon. Um, we run about sort of three eight to four thousand stock units with a 40-60 sort of cattle-sheep split, really. And, and really we sort of just trade cattle and we have a flock which we put to uh, a tumour sire and then we buy our replacements in. But we'll sort of go into there a little bit later on. Thank you. (coughs) Excuse me. So, we're sort of going to start here with a bit of a journey on uh, how we got to farm ownership, really. Um, I sort of grew up in eastern Taranaki. Um, My dad had a farm there, and that's where I spent most of my life. And um, when I left school, I went straight into the woolsheds, sharing sheep with myself my brother. And, and we spent the next sort of 18 years sort of shearing sheep, really. And we sort of thought, how are we going to make the transition from shearing sheep to farm ownership? To be fair, and it, it's always going to be hard sort of doing it by yourself. So we we sort of sat down one day and sort of thought, what's the best way we can achieve this? And collectively, we thought, as a family, we'd be able to do that. So. Like I say, I've got, my brother was a sharer and my two sisters were working in the sharing gang at the same time. So we thought if we sort of collectively get together with their partners and us and pool all our resources, we might be able to come up with enough funds to sort of get us going in the, the industry or give us a, a step, stepping stone, really. So in 2001, we were sitting around uh, in my brother-in-law's wall shed in Taipi, after shearing his sheep, and we sort of thought, we'll try and hatch a bit of a plan how we're going to do this. So we got out a bit of paper and a box of beer, and we started jotting a few things down and and sort of thinking, well, how are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? So we decided that if we did it all together and we pooled our resources, it would work as long as everyone was on the same page. So we sort of... It was fairly informal, to be fair, but it was sort of formal on the other side of it. Um, We sort of just made a few notes and then decided, rightio, if we can do this and pool our resources and cash up all our money and see what sort of kitty we can come up with, where are we going to go to? So we finally decided that the east coast was going to be probably the place to go to. so we're going to relocate from the west coast of one island to the east coast, but to be fair, the reasoning we had behind that was the land over there was probably going to be a little bit cheaper to buy at the time, and to have the scale that we needed, which is sort of anywhere between 10,000 stock units and 15,000 stock units, we sort of thought well that'll be the place to go, and there was a few farms over there available that size that would um, suit us all. So. So we cashed everything up, life insurances, all sorts of things, just to get enough equity to sort of see what we'd have in the kitty. And in 2001, we found a property uh, uh, in Moaro, 50 k's inland from Moaro, Mangaro Station, which was... Have a drink. Have a drink. Oh, I haven't had enough drinks but the sound of it. <laughs> no, I'll get there soon. Yeah. We found a property inland from Wairo, Mangaro Station. Um, it was 12,000 stock unit property, and it was up for sale. We thought if we can get in there and have a crack at it, we'll be away. But we all had to be on the same page sort of style. So we were lucky enough that the owner of the property said, well, we'll entertain the idea, come over and meet us and see what we can come up with. So we met with a, a man called Peter Greave, who owned the property, and he, he said, "Look, I'm willing to give you a crack. Let's let's go on. What's going to happen here? We didn't have enough finance, or didn't have enough money to to buy the farm outright. So we sort of thought we we're sort of working in between that with him, and um, we went to a few different trading banks, and they decided that we were too high risk." To sort of, well, to bank really, pretty much unbankable, they were saying. So, because we're young and our budgets they thought were just pretty much unachievable, they thought we weren't a good option. So, at the end of the day, we sort of went back to um, Taranaki with our tail between our legs for a while there. But we hitched another plan and we went to a place, well, Taranaki Farmers, which is At the time, it's changed its name to Allied Farmers now, and we thought, well, if the bank won't give us the money, we'll go there and ask them. If they'll lend us the money, obviously at a very high interest rate, but we're pretty committed to what we wanted to do. And they agreed. So the ball was rolling. Sumangaro was a goer. Um... We didn't quite have the finance from Allied to purchase Mangaro, so the owner agreed to lease it to us for 12 months, with a right of purchase agreement in there. To, to make it a little bit more viable, he, he had a neighbouring property that he knew was coming up for lease, which was Ruakaka Station. Now this was another property, similar size, well a little bit bigger, but similar size effective wise, and it was about 12,000 stock units as well. So. He said if he can secure the lease to that, add it to the other bit, would we be keen? So it just meant we had to find a little bit more money for stock. And we said, rightio, we'll have a crack. So it all went to plan, put it that way. There was a lot of mucking around, but and we had to put a lot on the line. So we went from owning 7,000 stock units within six months to running 24,000 stock units leased. And we sort of all chucked the shearing handpiece away. Well, we thought we were chucking the shearing handpiece away, to be fair, but we ended up probably doing just as much shearing as we were when we were full-time shearing. 40,000 sheep to be exact every year. Well, this is how we sort of made our budgets work. We decided, you know, if we can shear all our own sheep, you know, there was myself, my brother, my two brother-in-laws who were all shearers and all the girls worked in the... As wool handlers, so we thought well if we share all our own sheep we're gonna save a hundred thousand dollars a year. So that's one thing that the bank never counted on really. Um, plus crutching and other things. And we did quite a bit of shearing off farm when we could. I don't know why I keep looking at that because that's not even what I'm talking about, sorry about that. So for the next three years we paid ourselves 250 bucks a week, each family, it didn't matter if you had two kids, one kid or no kids, it was all equal, four people, well four families involved and everyone had to get paid the same amount, we made that decision fairly early on in the scene. Um, living on 250 bucks was pretty hard but we, to be fair we spent most of our time working and not enough time to do anything else except for a bit of Drinking. reproduction. Yeah. <laughs> After three years, we actually gave ourselves a pay rise of 400 bucks a week. So people sort of struggled to say, "Well, how did you live on 250 dollars a week?" But at the time, it was, it was the farm paid for our power and our phone, and the 250 dollars was to pay for our food and clothing and whatever. And um, we subsidised our extracurricular activities, if you might call them that, with mustering goats because there's plenty of those in Wattle, heaps of them. So we did a lot of goat mustering. Um, we sure a lot of sheep off farm. Yeah, so that paid for the treats and like like Sky TV and and the ride on Loma. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know we all had our own jobs responsibility. Uh, it's probably a little bit hard to talk about because being a family, you you sort of get involved and everyone said you're crazy. Like when we left Taranaki, you, you're gonna go to the east coast, which or to be precise, and and they were saying, look, it's at the time it was getting. Pretty Bad rap, you know with all the gang stuff going on, they said you're mad moving there, you know you, it's a total one side of the island to the other, but it's um it was a good move um and like you you can't stereotype things at times, which I think a lot of people do, and it you know it's a great town model it's a it's a great service town for farmers, and it's got a great community there, there is a bit of shit that happens here now and again to be sorry about the French, but it's not a bad place. Right, when the big jobs were on, we rolled our sleeves up and hooked them. Um, like I say, we all came from a shearing brack garden, so we'd all ha- just starting to have a few kids of our own. We weren't that old, but sort of... The girls were doing all the wool handling. We were doing all the shearing. The kids had to, no babysitters, so they had to... We'd make a, go over to the quarters, get the old wild love beds out, make a bit of a, a compound in the corner of the shed. As you'd say... Um, And we put the kids in there, two hours, you know, the boys, once the shearing was done, the boys would go and sort the sheep out, the girls would organise a cup of tea and go and sort the kids out, change a few nappies and do whatever you want. You know, health and safety, you would have a field day. (laughs) But, you know, for three years we did that and it it was good. And the kids have all grown up in the woolshed and, you know, they've got lanolin in their blood, to be fair. (laughs) So, yeah, all the jobs on the farm were done by ourselves. We, we sort of had to, because like I say, when I said we weren't bankable we were unbankable because they couldn't fathom how we when we put our budgets to them, how we'd do all the work ourselves. But we we had to, because we had no money, really, to be fair. So, we had two good years of farming when we first got there. Really got some runs on the board and then we were away. You know, um, as you you need to do, you, you sort of, you put everything on the line and if you ever bit of luck involved as well, you, you know, you, you do well. But we worked our gutses out, to be fair, and they were exciting times because they were young, we're all family, and we, we spent a lot of time together, and a lot of people say, well, how did you make it work, because families can't sort of work like that together all the time, and we all know as families, there's can be a little bit of, well, that's a polite word, yeah, challenging, but you know... Um, we nip things in the bud pretty quick. If it started to fester up, you had to. Um, and to be fair, it was probably more the girls than the boys. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. um, and, you know, we were working bloody hard, and, you know, we had a few beers, and we were too tired to have a fight about anything, to be fair. We'd just, <laughs> yeah, talk about it and move on. Yeah. So after a little while, six months doing this, when we first got involved in it, um, we were working hard and we are working every day because it was so exciting, but we sort of thought we can't do this all the time because something's going to crack. So we, we made a rule. We sat down had a little bit of a whānau meeting and said, look, we're going to start having the weekends off. So if we've got to start doing seven days' work in five days, we'll do that so we can have a couple of days off. You know, well, people, families starting to have kids, you've got to spend a bit of time with the kids and do whatever. So it worked, and we sort of started to get our head around actually kicking back a little bit. Well, not kicking back, but just sort of spreading the workload a little bit more. So that first seven years at Mangaro and Ruakaka, where there were seven kids born to a few different families. No, one family, four different families. (laughs) Oh, yeah, one family. (laughs) Shit, sounds a little bit weird, doesn't it? Yeah, a couple of weddings took place. Yeah, well, I've already said that, so that's all right. cool. So in 2008, after seven years of that, we'd gone really well, we ended up... So oh, we've jumped the gun here a bit because I, I mentioned that we'd never... We had the lease for two years and then we actually bought the property, moved on. In, t- in 2008, I... Um, one of the family members wanted to leave the partnership or the company to, to go off on their own. So we restructured everything and my brother and myself, we brought Rurikaka Station outright and my brother Bart and his wife brought Mangaroa. So we sort of, we split the whole thing in half pretty much but we still work collectively uh, together sort of style. But one family wanted to go out on their own and they bought their own property. And in 2012, so I've been at for five years. There with my brother, we decided that we wanted to go out on our own. So we put Ruaraka on the uh, market, sold it, and my brother moved down to Ikatun and bought a farm down there. And Pani and I was currently looking for a farm at the time, and we missed out on a couple, so we sort of we had to go back, um, take a bit of time off, twelve months, to be fair. And um, I, I went back full time shearing, and that was bloody hard work. Daddy, you you. <laughs> yeah. and, and we, but we had a bit of time to reflect on what we'd done in the last sort of eight, nine, ten years, twelve years, and it was a good time to actually do a bit of shearing, and then spend a bit of time on the beach with the kids, and sort of try and find the right farm we we're going to buy. So the next step was Kedour, and I think this is where I hand it over to you, is it?
1: So in 12 years, we went from um, being unbankable to owning 24,000 stock units and then dividing, going our own way. And Eugene and I were the last out of the four families from when we started to um, purchase our own property. So actually, our goal had been met um, as a whanau. So, um, you, you, yeah, you, so Eugene's just shared the journey of farm ownership, how we got to farm ownership, but... Um, yeah, so it started a long time before we actually got to Kirirō, as you've just heard. So Kirirō for us was um, turning an example, was an example of turning our dream into reality, and all our hard work paid off. Um, our commitment and always keeping the goal of um, ownership at the forefront of all of our decisions um, resulted in the purchase of Roo, um for Eugene and I. Um, So Eugene's told you that how he was raised in a small farming community of Whangamomona in Taranaki, and I was raised on the fringes of Te Uruwera by my grandparents um, in a little place called Whakarai. We only had a little small farm, but I spent most of my time (coughs) in the bush. (laughs) 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 Um, Hence why I love everything about the environment. Um, So the... You've heard how the sharing industry has played a major role. Is that...? Oh, no, sorry. I thought it was this one. Whoever that belongs to. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> um, yeah, to have raised enough equity to start, um, you know, start us off on our journey as a family of four families. Um, having worked in the industri- industry for so long before becoming farmers. Um, you know, we do know that we literally took a sweat towel to work, so that stood us in good stead of what we needed to achieve um, ownership. Um, if you have any questions, just fire away as we're talking, if you like.
0: Sorry. Okay, you're... So I just want to acknowledge sharing here a little bit, because like us, <laughs> Still going? Yeah. Um... Like I say, we're all working in the sharing industry and, you know, we, we made a bit of money out of it and it is hard work and we're still pretty much quite heavily tied up in the sharing industry now. Myself, my brother, brother-in-law, we're all sharing uh, Sport New Zealand judges. And now the next generation's coming through, our kids, uh, we've got a niece who's done very well in competition sharing and my, my son and my nephew last year, Sean, in the junior circuit. Um, Made a lot of finals. They made the Golden Shears final together and they made uh, using the New Zealand Shearing Champs final together and, and they've sort of taken up the mental. They both love shearing but they've both gone shepherding because they're still quite young. And, and our boys, uh, our younger boys are all getting the bug for it. So we, we'd just like to take time to acknowledge that it because it, it is a good, a good work ethic to have when you do a bit of shearing, I think. Sorry about that, wife.
1: Okay, so um, after the 12 months of searching over this side of the country as well, we didn't just look in um, in Tairawhiti and Gisborne and Poverty Bay. We actually looked all over the place for a farm, um, and somehow we went back there. Um, although it ticked all the boxes, you know, that we were expecting in the property and lifestyle for our four sons, schooling and everything else um, – still needed a lot of work um, on it. And we weren't going to compromise. And, you know, we'd sacrificed 12 years at that point of sweat, really, to get where we were. Um, so what drew us to Kirirua was um, the farming climate and the community, really. Um, Eugene quite likes to farm in that climate. Not many bugs and weeds around. Um, so in 2013, we moved, you know, to Motu to embark on this new life with our whanau. Um, <clears throat> we had big plans when we got there, you know, to make the properly the property sorry, truly ours. Um, that included erecting new fences for ease of stock management um, and movement, you know, constructing new cattle yards, sheep yards, cropping. Um, but the one thing that I really loved um, when we first got there, my little exciting peace was um we created the only wicker wetland habitat in Poverty Bay um, and it still is today so that was really cool for us it was um good to give something back to you know the, to the environment and our community the impact it's had on our community's been tremendous um and then in 2017 um given what we had accomplished at Kirirua, we were encouraged to enter the Balance Farm Environmental Awards. Um, so out of the six awards offered, we won three of them. Um, the Beef and Lamb New Zealand Livestock Award, the um, East Coast Farming for the Future Award, and the CB Norwood Agribusiness Award. Um, but we didn't win the big one. We thought we had, but we didn't quite have it in the bag. <laughs> 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 um, the... The experience gained from that gave us the confidence to enter the Ahu Whenua Trophy, um, a, a competition that's played quite a vital role. Um, in the King Whānau. Um Eugene's sister and her husband, Bart Hadfield, they won the sheep and beef um, sector six years ago, and then it was, it's biennially. So four years ago, his brother Ronald and his wife were finalists as well. Um, and so we thought, we were getting a bit of pressure to enter, so we thought, oh, we'll give it a go. (laughs) Um, But to be fair, when we um, seen the finalists, we were like, bloody heck. (laughs) You know, Big trusts and corporations we were up against. It was quite daunting. Yes, and both previous winners, so we're having another go. Um, So to today, Eugene... um, you Jen and I, plus our wider family, now um, own and, f- and farm ourselves twenty-seven thousand stock units spread across the east coast of the North Island. Um, as a family, we're very proud of what we've achieved. Um, we encourage others to believe in them, you know believe in yourselves, work hard, um, and surround yourselves by positive people. So, since oh, sorry. you want turn?
0: I was going to say, that's not the end, sorry. No. Yeah, we've got some more to talk about. We'll just sort of, we'll, we'll talk about law a little bit more.
1: Do you have any questions? No? That's great.
0: My parents and I think Panias would, well, I'll talk for Panias if she doesn't mind but I, I guarantee it came from her grandfather her grandfather was a very hard man but a very hard worker so so I think this generation, well I wouldn't say this generation but I think when you're talking about work ethic I think it is a bit of a struggle these days, a lot of young people seem to think that everything's going to happen and fall out of their phone I think <laughs> so yeah they do struggle, um, look the primary sector, we're faced with a few difficulties in trying to get people to go to work and do a bit of work, you know, fences are hard to come by um, young people sort of take it up, but then when they realise you've got to actually spread a bit they sort of chuck the tail in, so it is a struggle, uh, and I'm not saying that's the, all young people, but I think it is a bit of a struggle these days So work ethic is something we've tried to instil into our kids and um, because you don't get anywhere with that hard work to be fair
1: I think these days with this new generation that you've got to actually teach them how to work. Um, you know, having four sons, they have their moments. You know, when it's docking time, they you know, oh, I'm going to help mum today. <laughs> well, actually, mum's going docking. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, we, we have sort of um, old values or morals, like when we have dinner, there's no electronics at the table and we're going to sit and we're going to talk and all that sort of stuff. And um, you have the same values and morals around work as well. You're not going to get a new motorbike until you actually pluck this many possums or you do some work sort of thing. So, yeah. So since the environment's under the spotlight, we thought we might um, just give a little bit of a broad range and view of what we do on Kiriró environmentally. Um, so we do have an environmental, ma- environmental management plan and erosion plans. Um, we were one of the first farms to get those done in our valley, in the Multi Valley. Um, you know, with clear goals and timeframes for all activities to be implemented, we're really strict on how we follow these through. Um, Effective collaboration and joint funding with the Gisborne District Council and MPI has enabled environmental projects to proceed um, along with a bit out of our pocket as well. Um, We've talked about the habitat so that's good and that's ongoing with that. Our um, local school and our community helped us establish the Weka Wetland Habitat along with funding from the Natural Heritage Fund from our District Council. Um, and it was really good doing all of these projects because it actually engaged the community, so it just had a real good runoff effect with farming the environment community, and they got people off farm, so that was really cool as well um, so we planted around about four thousand native trees and grasses um, to support the project and um pest and weed control is ongoing um, to protect the native biodiversity on our farm and also we do voluntary pest control that is carried out in the neighbouring reserve called the Winray. Um, So, also significant um, riparian fencing and planting has also been done on our farm which is in all of the plans and mostly paid for out of our funds. Um almost um hmm. oh yeah, planting shelter belts and shade as well have been done. Uh, we also have three native stands of QE2 um, on our property, um, and we still have two more to be covered within the next three to five years. Um, we'll be doing this when funds are available. One of the protected areas that will be included in those two stands is a kahikatea forest. It's um, fenced off for cattle but not for sheep, so we're going to be um, sheep-proofing, doing a sheep-proof fence around it, which will be quite challenging because, as you know, they're like wet feet and it's quite swampy. Um, we have an active erosion management underway as part of our um, FEMP, for the Mortu Catchment Project. Um, so, I chair a project for our Mortu River, and we have 14 farms involved out of 16 that border, border the Mortu River um, that are actively involved and doing great work to do erosion control and protecting fencing and um, planting of the river. It's a really cool project, actually, because it's 100% funded by MPI. Um, so we're just doing funding for our second round, and Eugene and I have just proudly fenced our whole river, sheep-proofed it, and as well as cattle-proofed it. Um, so, yeah, le- leading the way for the farming sector, and that department's been a little bit challenging, but actually, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good feeling. Um, so, doing all of that, we... With the second round of funding, it's been um, added to the river project to actually do tributaries, which is going to tie in with the new policy plan coming out. Um, Also, and wetlands, which wasn't included in the first round of funding from MPI. So Motu Farmers are looking... Well, first of all, they think choice, this is free... And second of all it's, it's they're doing it, so you know, hats off to them. Um poles will be also planted on the Motu um, River, which we have got fully funded as well. Um so yeah, I think if you if you go to your council and ask about where funding is available and really get into them, they they, they should help you and a lot of it is funded for. Um it's just knowing where to look, really. Um, And so far we've planted 5,500 native trees down the river And with the second round of planting um, There will be another uh, 8,000 to be planted And that will be the river fully planted on both sides Um, And the river's not quite 3 k's long So, yeah Yeah in our erosion plan for the farm, we've planted 200 poles already, poplar poles, with another 400 to be done in the next two years as part of our erosion plan. Um, and well, we have a lot going on with the 483-odd hectares um, to support our farming practices and become more sustain- in a sustainable unit, we encourage farmers to do the best they can to look after the land their water and the animals. Um, all of this work does truly have a runoff effect and complements our farming practices. so that 's what we do environmentally um, on our property. Um, any questions? Hi. Yes. No. The Maltu catchment plan came after that. It was an idea that we'd sat around and thought, you know, let's let's look after our backyard, really, and. Um, the, a lot of people where we farm have the same mindset, and, you know, and th- yeah, they th- we think alike. Um, with our erosion plans and our um, farm environmental plans, um, it was something that we, we had in our strategic plan to do, but what hurried us along was entering the balance farm awards. Yeah, um, we had everything ready to go. We just had to put it on paper, so to speak. Yeah.
0: So with that background, it's not a surprise to see you've been as successful as you have been. Congratulations to you both. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> you. Pardon, but to um, like anyone who knows, and you know we're all farmers here. You know to make money, you got to spend some money, and that farm had been leased out for a long time before we got hold of it, and they done a lot of damage to it to be fair, so really, to that cranking in, we had to do some work to it, and you know at the end of the day you, you can 't make money without spending money, and we all know that, so thank you for your comments
1: so we 've just got one more piece, really. Um, are we good for time? yep i'm hoping you 'll say no <laughs> <laughs>
0: only <need>
1: <laughs> oh. we thought with um share some of our practices that we have in place to ensure that Kirirō is a successful and healthy business. Um, so we, we start, and we've always had this as a plan from day one, um, we have a vision, first and foremost, and that for Eugene and I when we move to Kirirō is to maximise, maximise production and profitability while enhancing the improvement in health and wellbeing of Papatūnuku, our land, um, for our whānau and future generations. So, and then uh, coming at the bottom of that is our strategic plan, um, which includes, um, this is just a minimal overview, we will be here all night, um, improving profitability, um, second level, enhancing sustainability, growing our business, continued enhancement of the environment, um, investigating off-farm investment opportunities at the farm gate, Ongoing education and support for our sons, our four sons, and um, to maintain a healthy balance between work and family time. So to just speak more on improving profitability, um, to increase our gross farm revenue um, to $1,500, keeping our working expenses under 40%, Um, keeping the consistent return on capital at 6% and maintaining a net production per hectare of 285 kgs. Um, Talking more on improving our own profitability um, enables us to improve, improve and provide for our sons, giving them the best education and opportunities that we can Um, to help them in in their future endeavours encourages confidence and opportunity to grow our business. Um, And enhancing sustainability in all areas by growing our business and completing our environmental and farm erosion plans. Um, Looking to invest in more land or invest out of the farm gate, i.e. commercial building, which we've investigated this year. Um, But the beach house came up better. (laughs) Um, This will enhance sustainability in all areas. Taking leadership seriously in all areas and having the right support people, support team to help us when when it's needed. Benchmarking our business and decisions against other similar business and always keeping your eye on the prize. Um, Monitoring our outcomes, making sure every aspect of our business and lifestyle has a really good balance. Um, Goals we set last year, short-term goals, um, within three to five years to complete our environmental erosion plans. Goal two, to increase our GFI whilst keeping our FWE no greater than 40%. Goal three, to increase our size, the size of our operation. Goal four, purchase a holiday home at the beach. We've completed two of the four goals and you know one of them. (laughs) Um, We bought a a beach house for our family and it's been a goal from day one in Mahia. And the second goal we have achieved was to increase our GFI whilst keeping our um, FW no greater than 40% and we banged the 1500 mark this year. Our long time, long-term goals, um, a larger operation, farming operations to build sustainable returns. Um, we sort of had a, to reevaluate that goal that was written last year for the beach house. So I have gone back to work, and um, if I did, couldn't go back to work, we could have got a bigger farm because I'd be still working for him. So that's on hold.
0: So I've got no shepherd.
1: (laughs) Um, And increase our asset base to assist our children's future, so our future-proofing plan. Um, Financial and benchmarking. um, Economic farm surplus, 15 to, year 16 was $502.00. Um, 16 to 17, 535, 17 to 18, 542 Um, per hectare in the last three years has been slowly increasing. um, GFR gross farm revenue, 215 to 16, $1,201, 16 to 17, $1,290, 17 to 18, $1,386, and 18 to 19, as I said, we hit the 1500 mark. Um, development and benchmarking in all areas of our business has helped us grow our business. Farm working expense at a percentage of our gross farm revenue, um, 15 and 16 was 483 at 40%. 16 to 17 was 489 at 38%. And 17 to 18 was 5.48 at 40% again. So consistent um, working expense over the past three years was always monitoring our spending, prudent spending, and doing a lot of the work ourselves. Our return on capital has been been consistent over the past three years, 6.1%, 6% and 6% again. Um, so willingness to source and accept advice, guidance and support to achieve our vision. Prioritising spending is a habit we have learnt early, as you said. Um, when we were unbankable, um, um, when, when we first bought Mangaro, that was, and leased Mangaro. We have learnt to live on less from experience. Um, so we know how far a dollar can stretch and we don't just count the dollars, we count the cents. Um, so through life living on 20k a year for a long period of time and how important it is to do the work yourself and um, do it when you can. So um, on to the farming stuff. I'll give it to you, oh, Jean.
0: Thanks. I oh, didn't think you are going to part with that. <laughs> cool. Look, uh, so i will start. Touch on a little bit of farming stuff here. We've talked about environment and stuff. So, um, you know, we run a very, very simple farming policy. We have um, breeding ewes, and I put a terminal sire over the whole lot and I'll whack all the heads off as soon as I can. Um, Excuse my phrases there. So, the onus of the system rolls around the ewe flock and getting as many lambs off mum as we can as soon as possible. Um, of course we live in a fairly cold climate So our spring sort of doesn't really kick in until October So I sort of lamb about now And um, 20th of November we'll start uh, killing a few lambs And we sort of try and get away as many as we can Sort of between 18 and 19 kilos So like I say, been a terminal size they grow like buggery And we sort of got, the last three years we've averaged 55% off mum at the first draft, sort of style. So, we get away a fair chunk of lambs, and it's the cheapest lamb that we'll ever grow, and it's gone on the truck, and it's easy. So, you've got the sheep system, and with the cattle system, very simple again, we trade cattle. So, but we used to have cows when we first moved there, we just struggled with them in the winter a little bit because I'm a short grass farmer. I sort of just, that's just how I like to farm, and the sheep do really well, but the cattle do struggle a little bit. So. Excuse me. We went away from cows, and now we just trade in. Um, we buy in Frisian bulls, two twenty kilos, sort of not a big bull, sort of June, July, and then I sort of take them through, finish the winter, and take them through a second winter, and start knocking them over, sort of November, December, and we buy a few steers as well. Just I work the steers probably a little bit harder than the bulls, but like I say, very very um, simple system. The lambs sort of, like I say, do 18, 19 kilos. We sort of averaged about 18.4 last year, but we struggled a little bit with the dry towards the end of it. And the bulls sort of... Bulls did really well. They averaged 349 kilos last year. And the stairs were 345. Um, as far as... Our, we've got a very good ewe flock, and it was tied up... When I was at Mangaroa, my brother, Lua and I, we, we, we sourced our rams from Hildreth Romney's down in um, Hawke's Bay. And, and we've been going there ever since, and he's been going there. So after I left, I said to my brother-in-law, so he, he keeps about 2,000 replacements, but he has about 3,500 ewe lambs. So I said, well, can I, what you don't want, buy, buy my ewe lambs for you, and then keep it all in the whanau sort of style. They're not the biggest ewe lamb in the world, but they seem to shift really well up to our country, and then they grow out. So On a good year, I'll lamb them. I don't lamb them every year, because it just depends if I can get them up to the weight. But I've got a good source of the ewe lamb, they're very well bred, and then they suit the system where we are putting a terminal sire over them. Like I say, very simple system. How do we make the system work so well? It really comes down to our grass management. Um, we don't have any grass in the winter, so that's pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> we do a bit of winter grazing, so it's a bit of a dirty word when you talk about winter grazing now, especially we can go around the country. But we grow a bit of kale, and 85% of our cattle are wintered on kale crops. Now, we do all the right things when we're grazing the kale crops, obviously. We have buffer zones, um, critical-sourced areas are fenced off, and we sort of, where it's practical, we will graze from the top to the bottom now. Did this a few years ago, and it rained like buggery, and it was working, but they broke out every single day. It was a mission. So we put up a lot of fences to stop them moving too far forward. But it was a lot of work, but... Uh, Those are the things you probably have to do when you are winter grazing. But it is, you know, the winter grazing has probably been a game changer for us up there. It means we can get a lot of cattle and take them through the winter. Well, not a lot of cattle, but enough cattle, because I need the cattle on the ground in the springtime. Um, They're too dear to buy. And our feed sort of fluctuates, but about October it's going to go, and when it goes and you think it's going, well, it's already gone. So... We need to integrate the cattle into our system. So, I lamb my ewes at about seven stock units to the hectare, probably a little bit high. People think it's too high for up there, but they're very fat ewes, and you know the best thing for a fat ewe is probably not to feed them too well. If you know well, you feed them well, but on that lambing curve, you sort of don't want to blow their bums out. To be fair, um, cattle come into my system about October. So once the winter crops come off. I integrate cattle into the sheep system as well, so the seven stock units a hectare goes up to nine. People keep telling me that's too high, but when our grass goes, it grows. But that is how we control our feed, so because it's 4,000 stock units, we're always around it. I can monitor, I can take cattle out, more cattle in, or take a few sheep out, because some paddocks obviously handle things a little bit better than others. (coughs) But the cattle are a second-class citizen, to be fair, for a while but they manicure the pastures for us through that, that peak time when our feed gets away on us then we've lost it for the rest of the season and I think if you can keep your quality control through that period then you, you'll hold your quality for the rest of the season and you'll reap the rewards um, You know, so quality is king to us um, pasture quality really and everything else follows on from that So we do use a little bit of N, strategically used, as they say. Um, no more than 65 kgs the hectare, but we've got to get the timing right when we put that on. And we're lucky enough, we've got an airstrip just down the road, have it sitting there. When we think the ground temp's up high enough, there's going to be no major weather events coming because I don't really want to piss my money up against the wall, to be fair. So
1: <laughs>
0: we'll put it on. And, and all the 20 country gets that. And we put a little bit on our flats. Um, I just do that myself. But at the right time of the year, it works really well. And I think anyone who's running a fairly productive system uses a bit of end. So I do struggle to see how some of the stuff we've seen in that freshwater plan is going to work because it's going to really bugger a few people up this year. What are you on to, Wolf? OK. And we've done all that cool, so together,, uh, like I say, we run a simple system. I can't sort of go on about the the farming side of it too much. you know, um I could tell you all my scanning policies and and, and what we're getting out of that, but at the end of the day, you know the money talks what's dropping out the bottom, so. As as the management side of things go, I I do the day-to-day running of the farm, and Pania does the environmental side of things, and she takes care of finances, Um, I definitely wear the pants, I think I've said this before, and she knows that, (laughs) but Pania tells me what colour I have to wear. Is that right, wife? Okay. Okay. An overview of our business is always assessed by ourselves and our accountant and our banker. Now, this is one thing that we've really concentrated on. We've... When I said we were unbankable, we were unbankable, and the banks came to us. Well, they didn't. We went to them, and then they left, drove out in the cars and left us hanging. Um, Two years, three years later, they came back to us, and we... We entertained a lot of them, but we ended up going with Rabobank to be fair, and we've banked with them ever since. And as a family, um, we all collectively still bank with them. Um, they really took us on board, and um, they've really backed us. But So we have a very good relationship with our bank. We have a very good relationship with our accountant. And we've set up a bit of a governance team of our own for the couple of local farmers, and a little bit of outside views to um, to to come and visit us every six months or whenever we feel like we need to have a cordial, and, and, and have an outside look at our operation. So we benchmark ourselves a lot. Um, we're part of different discussion groups and whatever. And then we put all that information down and, w- and we see where we can make a difference. And I think y- you need to have a good relationship with all those people, your accountant, your banker. If you don't, then you probably need to change. I, well... Banks are always there, aren't they? So you can change whenever you want. <laughs> if you're not happy, especially where the interest rates are at the moment, the primo. Mm. So I think we probably need to move on a bit here. I know I'm sort of struggling with this a little bit. I probably didn't have any, enough beers, but are you done? I'll hand the microphone back to Pani, yeah, I'm done. Cool, thank
1: you. Um, so just a little bit of a progress report from um, since the Ahu Fenor Trophy back in May. Um, as I mentioned earlier in the environmental section of our kōrero, um, we have um, fenced the section of the Motu River, the 3Ks excluding stock, including sheep, um, started planting the riverbanks and gave you new amount of the trees that we have done, reached our financial benchmarking and goals, as said earlier, done the three out of the two um, five done three of the five QE two blocks, um, sat down and done our annual consul- consultation with our fertilizer rep and made some in place some really good policies and practices in place with our winter grazing for the year for winter. Um, planted the poles on the erosion-prone land spot, planted the rest of the kiriru, um Wicker wetland habitat, and um, a 90-odd percent towards the Wicker wetland area being weed-free. Um, <clears throat> team culture and attitude, just to f- finish us up for the night, um, team is what Eugene and I are, um, and we've been there for the past 28 years um, As a husband and wife team, we're always discussing our plans on a day-to-day basis. Um, We both bring different skills to the table, which complement each other really well. We have always worked together really well, and I think that is why we run a successful partnership. Well, most times we do, don't we? (laughs) Um, Both with the same vision and goals in mind. We have the same mindset and attitude to setting a good example for other farmers and couples. Um, With that, a lot of hard work, determination, support from other farming sectors. And just to top it off and make sure that we all believe and make sure we all know and spread the word that farming is a bloody great life and we're the backbone of this country. And it's an awesome way to bring your family and your kids up. Thank you.